0: 1 Peter 3 verses 1-6 through It says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes, Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in Yahweh's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in Yahweh also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and are not frightened by anything alarming, may always bless His Word to our hearts today. I get a lot of phone calls and emails and direct messages every week about a lot of different subjects in the Bible. When I say a lot, I cannot stress the word a lot enough. When you have somebody contact you and wonder and ask you what they should do in their life, that's not a small thing. I don't take that lightly. That's a huge responsibility. I really do not feel worthy to tackle all of the questions that I get. And sometimes I just have to tell people, I don't know. I'm not sure. We have to humble ourselves and say that. But I try to stay focused on the Bible and give others biblical answers to their questions. So I'm learning to be more led by the Spirit in what I teach on Sabbath. And when I say that, I don't mean that I've decided to close my eyes, open up my Bible somewhere, and put my finger down on a scripture and then preach on that scripture. That's not being led by the Spirit. If you ask me, I think that's being kind of cuckoo, to be honest with you. But what I mean when I say being more led by the Spirit is that I'm trying to be more sensitive to the concerns of people that I minister to here in the local body and also really nationwide and sometimes worldwide. So if I get a few people, a few different people in different locations asking me the same question in a matter of a couple of weeks, it might mean that Yahweh is trying to get my attention and have me look at a particular scripture or scriptural area and I need to minister and serve in that area. And thus tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. One of the concerns that I've been approached with several times in the past year has come from the sisters in the faith. I have gotten emails, text messages, direct messages on Facebook, things like this, asking me, how does a Christian wife handle living in a home with an unbelieving husband? Or with a husband who may profess to be a believer, but really is not taking the initiative to do his part in the marriage So tonight, I'm going to focus on the proper actions of a woman in this situation. In my New Moon sermon on Monday, I will also take the time to focus on the actions of the man in the home, particularly in regards to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. So you can read that. We'll talk about that in the next lesson. At the outset of these lessons, I want you to know that nothing that I say, and I think you should know this, but nothing that I say to the women or to the men is to pick on anybody in here or over the phone. I'm not up here to throw stones at other people. Just because I'm the one that stands behind the pulpit does not mean that I have everything ironed out. I can assure you I don't have everything ironed out. I have many problems of my own. (laughs) And I will be working in my own life and in my own marriage until the day that I die. Life is tough. That's the truth. We can sugarcoat it if we want to, but that doesn't help. Life is difficult. We have ups. We have mountaintops. We have downs. We have valleys. And that's how marriage is too. It's not fantasy land. It's not a castle on a hill where everything just looks perfect. It's not a snapshot or a Facebook picture where both the husband and wife are smiling all the time. Marriage is something that you work at. And I do believe this. I do believe that if both the husband and wife are devoted to Yahweh and both realize that they must daily work on their particular parts in marriage, there will be a closer unity, love, friendship, and joy that will be obtained in marriage as the years pass on. So we'll start with 1 Peter 3 verse 1. Which says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. When a believing woman gets married to a man, hopefully she has taken the time and made the effort to find a man on the same page that she's on. That should be the goal. A Christian should marry a Christian. And while no two people ever agree on everything, a believer should try to find a person to marry that holds the same core values or principles that they hold to. The problem is is that no matter how hard you try to pick a man, you're going to eventually hit a bump in the road after marriage. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Nobody has a perfect pie-in-the-sky marriage no matter what they may tell you or what you may see on social media. Nobody has a marriage where you always agree on everything and you never have any problems or any arguments. Sometimes two unbelievers get married, a man and a woman. Both of them are unbelievers. And sometimes they marry, and later on in life, Yahweh changes the woman's heart. And the woman is born from above. She's experienced the spiritual birth. And she begins to follow Yahweh and His commands and believe in Yeshua as the Messiah and seek biblical instruction for her life. Well, when a woman runs into this, after she married as an unbeliever but then was later changed, she finds herself now as a believer and she's married to an unbelieving husband or married to a husband that says he believes, he says he has faith, but he's not living up to the standards set for him in the Bible. Well, how is she to act? You know, I'm sure that if we went out on the street and we asked this question, how is she to act, to random women, you'd get all kinds of answers because everybody in the world thinks that they have the answer to the solution, or the solution to the problem, I should say. But we want to get the advice that comes from Yahweh, even if it seems like His way is not the best way. What does Proverbs 3 tell us to do? Trust in Yahweh with all of our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Most people don't quote the next verse. Verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed or studied for an answer to one of life's many questions. And I thought that I knew the answer, Brother Jerry, and I thought that I was going down the right path in that situation or area of my life. And all of a sudden, just in my casual Bible reading one day, the real answer popped out of the page. And I was like, Okay, Yahweh, all right. I thought I had it all ironed out. This is what you say. Help me to submit to your word. Amen. According to the verse that we just read in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, the believing wife. in this situation, is to obey, be subject to, and to serve her unbelieving husband. Now, what I generally hear when I share this verse to women who ask me the question is this, but Brother Matthew, what about dot, dot, dot? And then you get many hypothetical scenarios in an attempt to fight what the Apostle Peter has written here. And you know Yahweh had Peter write what this says. This is not Peter coming up with his own idea. This is Yahweh moving upon his appointed apostle just like he moved on his appointed prophets in the Old Testament. So if you love Yahweh, Christian wife, and if you want to remain true to the vow that you made to Yahweh, and marriage is a vow, should be a vow for life, and remain true to the vow you made to your husband, then you are to serve your husband even if he is an unbeliever. You are to respect his office and role as the leader in the home and you are to submit to the authority of his position even if he doesn't obey the word sisters does that mean he will always be right well of course not especially if he's an unbeliever does that mean that there will never be times that you have to disobey him in order to obey Yahweh no see in Christian submission to authority structure There are always times when we have to obey Yahweh and disobey man when the two collide. I always bring up an extreme example that goes something like this to the sisters. If your husband tells you that he's going to rob the neighbors and he needs your help, you have a responsibility to obey Yahweh's law over your husband's request. That's when you have two authority structures in your life, husband and Yahweh, but they're butting heads. Yahweh says, do not steal. Husband's saying, I'm robbing the neighbors tomorrow night. That should be a no-brainer, right? That's an extreme example. That's an easy one, but you get the picture. Let me give it a little bit more practical one. Let's say, though, that you have this women's Bible study planned for one night during the week. It's not Sabbath. It's just a working night, working day night. You're excited about it, but when you get home your unbelieving husband finds out that you're going and he'd rather you stay home instead of go to the Bible study. And you think to yourself, but if I stay home, he's going to pretty much ignore me, I'll end up doing something by myself while he sits and watches TV or whatever. Well, in such that case, you should obey your husband and not go to the Bible study because it's not a commanded thing of Yahweh. What he's requested is not making you violate the law. However, on the flip side of this is let's say you're about to go to the Sabbath meeting at your local assembly and he doesn't want you to go and it's not because there's a serious reason. It's not like he's sick or he needs your care. Those reasons are exceptions to the rule. But he just doesn't want you to go. In this case, you should disobey your husband because Yahweh's Sabbath commandment comes first. Now, the disobedience should still be done in gentleness, and in reverence for your husband. You should not get in a shouting match with him. You should just gently explain to him, look, this is a commandment of Yahweh, and I fear Yahweh, and I desire to walk in his ways, and so I've got to attend the Holy Convocation. Now that's just one illustrative example. But hopefully it will help you in determining, the sisters, it will help you in determining when and when not to disobey your unbelieving husband's request or your husband's requests when maybe you feel that he's not doing like he should do in the marriage. So long as he is not asking you to directly violate Yahweh's commandments, and so long as you, wife, or your children are in any serious danger in his presence, you are to submit, love, serve, and care for your husband because he's the leadership role. In your home, I do think that this passage was specifically written to wives with husbands that were not believers, okay? I think in principle, it can apply to husbands that are believers and aren't doing their duty in the marriage, but I think it was originally written to wives with unbelieving husbands. Peter tells us in verse one that the reason you're to do this is because this is how he will be won over to being a believer. He will be won over, Peter writes, without a message. Without you talking to him about what he needs to do. Without you telling him where he needs to straighten up. He will be won over to the faith according to scripture by watching the way that you live. The best witness of a believing wife, the best witness that she can give to her non-believing husband is the submissive life that she lives in his presence towards him. She serves him. She makes sure his clothes are ready for work. She takes care of the home. She takes care of the needs of the home. She cooks meals for him. She tells him, I love you and I'm thankful for you. She desires to spend time with him and she does so. She always looks out for his needs and places his needs above her own. She does all of this even though he is not a believer, Peter says. Even though he may be undeserving of such care. She continues to do this because this is the method that Yahweh says will win him over to the faith. Now Christian sister, I realize that you think you need to do something else to get your unbelieving husband's attention. I realize sisters think there's a better way. How is he going to know what I'm feeling? How am I supposed to express my concerns? What about me? I realize all of those thoughts come into your head. Those are legitimate concerns. But I want to encourage you, sister, if you are facing this in your life, believe what Yahweh has told you through His apostle. Yahweh ordained Peter to write that your husband will observe which means he will see, he will watch your pure and reverent life, 1 Peter 3, verse 2. And it will be a bigger and a louder message to him. It will work better than you sitting down and talking to him about what he should be doing or what he should not be doing. Now, I know that's tough, sisters. And the reason I know it's tough is because I battle with this concept in my brain when I witness to unbelievers in general. Sometimes I forget what 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2 says, that I am a written epistle known and read of all people. Sometimes I think I have to hammer something into somebody else's head instead of just setting an example where they can watch the way that I live. Well, Peter says later in his epistle in 1 Peter 5 verse 3 that pastors have a similar approach to unbelievers as women do to their unbelieving husbands. It says that pastors are not to lord over people but be an example to people. That's similar to what Peter writes to women in chapter 3. It's similar in this way. In both cases, the best witness is not what you say but how you live. It's not about hammering other people with your words. The proverb says that he that is often reproved hardeneth his neck. And he can get to a point where there's no remedy. There's no more hope. There's no more listening capability there. So it's not about hammering others with our words, but it's about living in such a way that people see our humility and our reverence, our love, our concern, our compassion, our friendship, our joy, and our faith. And that's not something that we just do for three days and then sit back and say, all right, Yahweh, produce the results. Okay, I was joyful today, but no results came. What happened, Yahweh? Why aren't you being true to your Word? No, this is an ongoing thing. This is a lifestyle. Amen? This is a lifestyle. This is not something sister goes home and does for a few days and gets upset because they don't see immediate results. The best example that I can give is a farming example, and Yeshua used many of them, in the Bible. But it's like when you plant a seed and then you water a seed and then you take care of that plant and you wait patiently for the harvest. The harvest doesn't come the next day. I just did some successive planting, some late planting of some okra seeds not long ago. And I've had a garden ever since Tisha and I have been married the very first year. But I planted those okra seeds and I would go out there, Brother John, on day two and day three and I kept wondering, where's the plants? Why aren't they coming up? Now I know why they're not coming up. Because it takes time. The sun has to shine. The water has to come. The rain has to come. It takes time. Then I see them emerge and then I get antsy. They don't look like they've gotten any bigger. Well, it's just been one day. Where's the fruit on the plant? That's going to take months. It takes months to get a good harvest. Well, apply that way of thinking to what we're talking about. When wives witness to their husbands without a spoken word, but with the life that they live, it's a lifestyle thing. It's something that goes on for the rest of their life. When we witness to unbelievers in general, it's a lifestyle thing. It's something that goes on with the rest of our life. So if we want to see results, we've got to be consistently applying the biblical principles not just applying them one day a week or two days a week, but every day that we wake up, say, look, I'm going to live my life and let my life shine and be a bright light to, in the case of the sisters, my, my husband or in the case of all of us, to the world in general. Now, there will always be times when you think, when a sister thinks, well, I just have to sit him down and tell him what he's doing wrong but you will make a mistake by doing that. That will drive your husband further away from you. And that's because men were created by Yahweh for the leadership role in the home. So when that leadership role, even if they're not a believer, when that leadership role is disrespected and you put down or stomp on your husband, he will automatically put up a guard and it will be next to impossible for him to listen to anything that you have to tell him. Now, are there times when you should speak to your husband about issues in marriage? Absolutely. Sure there are. But number one, it's best to wait until he approaches you. And number two, it's best to do so with a gentle and a quiet spirit. When your husband opens up to you first, he will be much more apt to receive truth from your mouth, especially if you give it to him in reverence for his role in the home. And isn't this exactly what Peter goes on to tell the women? We continue reading in verses 3 through 4 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold ornaments, or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in Yahweh's eyes. Now I'm going to read that same, those same verses from the E-R-V, translation, which is on the screen, where it says, it is not fancy hair, gold jewelry, or fine clothes that should make you beautiful. No, your beauty should come from inside you. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, that beauty will never disappear, and it is worth very much to God or to the Almighty. One of the first things that a woman does when she feels like her husband is not loving her or paying attention to her or spending enough time with her or spending time with her is to beautify her outward look. And that's the context of this passage. A lot of people rip this passage from its context, tell you they believe what it says. Things are to be read in context. We have to rightly divide and understand Scripture. A woman thinks, well, I need to color my hair. I need to change my hairstyle. I need to wear something new. I need to put on just the right smelling perfume. I need to put on just the right amount of jewelry, and that will get my husband's attention. See, Yahweh knows that this thinking takes place in a woman's mind and that's why He had Peter write 1 Peter 3, 3 3-4. Outward adornment might get your husband's attention for a short time, but it will not have a lasting effect according to this verse. And that's because outward beauty doesn't just catch the eye of your husband. Outward beauty catches the eyes of many men, but inward beauty turns the heart of a man to be a faithful husband to his wife. Peter writes that the proper adornment for a woman in this situation consists of the hidden person of the heart, or I like to just say the hidden woman of the heart. You have a a revealed woman. That's the woman that people see when you converse, when you walk, when you are in society on a day-to-day basis. But then you have something that Peter calls the hidden woman or the hidden person of the heart. Nobody can, can see, but yet there's ways you can act where they can see that woman. And Peter writes that the proper adornment for a woman in this situation that he's dealing with is the hidden woman of the heart, the person you can't see, the spirit of the woman. He says that there is an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit and that it is valuable in the eyes of Yahweh. It's costly. That Greek word, I can't remember the word, but it means it's expensive. It's more than fine gold. Now, I cannot read 1 Peter 3, 3-4. through 4. This is something that happens to me. Every time I read it, I was thinking about it just seconds ago. I can't read 1 Peter 3, 3-4 without thinking about Proverbs 31, verse 30. Now, I'm going to quote this next proverb from the Message Bible, even though my children somewhat rebuked me for using the Message Bible last week in my sermon. <laughs> I don't normally use the Message Bible in my sermons, A bit too laid back. It's kind of a laid back Bible. You know, like in John 2, where it says Jesus turned the water into wine coolers, you know. It doesn't really say that, but you get the point. But I think that the message Bible does good in Proverbs 31, verse 30, where it says, Charm can mislead and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God or in the fear of Yahweh. I think that Peter had that verse in mind when he wrote verses 3-4 through of chapter 3. Any woman can be charming for a while. Any woman can play the harlot on her husband and charm another man right out of his wife's arms. And beauty... Beauty only lasts for a short lifespan. We all have the prime time of our life, but then it is soon over, and no matter how much we try to avoid it or cover it up, our bodies are corruptible flesh, and our age shows. But what does not wear out, what is imperishable, is the hidden woman of the heart, sisters the gentle and the quiet spirit. See, a thief can come in and steal all of your jewelry. The fine clothing that you wear, one day it will itself wear out. But the adorning of the hidden woman will never, ever go away. It will always be there. It will stay with you and carry you to your death and then, because of it, you will be a member of the resurrection of the righteous on that great and final day. Now, I don't want you to go home and say, well, Brother Matthew told me to throw away all my nice clothes and sell all my jewelry. That's not what I just said. As a matter of fact, I think about a story Brother Jerry told me where he was talking with a brother. I may get this mixed up a little bit, but in his early years of Christianity, I was talking with a brother that said he received the Holy Spirit and he put down his comb. Brother Jerry said, when I received the Holy Spirit, he made me pick up my comb, Brother This passage is not teaching women to be frumpy and it's not teaching women to not beautify themselves outwardly for their husband. That's not what the passage is teaching. Um, I can see how somebody can just read that one verse by itself and come up with that. And there are some denominations that have done so. There are some denominations that teach that you can't wear any jewelry whatsoever some teach you can't wear gold, but you can wear silver because the text doesn't say anything about silver. But these same denominations, the women still look beautiful. They still make their self up. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not against that. They still do what 1 Peter 3 says not to do. But Peter's not saying, blanket, don't do it. This is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, women... Don't let that be your primary focus. Don't concern yourself merely with outward adornment, but focus more on the hidden woman of the heart. Focus more on the gentle and quiet spirit. Things like jewelry and nice hairstyles and and uh, nice clothing, that can be worn in decency and moderation. And, and I like it when my wife comes home and she's got her hair done and she's got a nice dress on. I say, you look beautiful, honey. You look wonderful. And she does that for me and that's great. But if she only focused on that and thought that that alone was going to win my heart, it would go against what 1 Peter 3 said. So that's Peter's point. Peter is saying, don't adorn yourselves in this way merely, only, or primarily, but rather adorn yourselves like this with the inside. It's the same thing when Yeshua tells us men, don't work for the food that perishes. Well, we can take that as a blanket statement and we can say, bless God, I'm not going out to work. I'm going to study my Bible. <laughs> you know, but And it says, that's what it says, but you have to have a right understanding. What Yeshua is saying is this, men, don't get so caught up in your work that you don't have any time for the spiritual food. So it's the same thing here in 1 Peter chapter 3. When we read through the Old Testament, we see that righteous women wore jewelry and were adorned beautifully on the outside. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that. I've written a whole study, two studies actually, on the subject of adornment. If anybody's interested, I can get those to you. But the key is this. The righteous women of the Old Testament did not stop at just that adornment. They did not adorn for the wrong reasons. The righteous women were more concerned with making sure they adorned themselves on the inside They realized that the fear of Yahweh, the hidden woman of the heart, the gentle and quiet spirit were all more important than their hair, their clothes, or their jewelry. Now I do think, sisters, I do think, and it's good that the sisters are reminded about this because I think that Peter would write the same thing today to the women because it's the tendency for women to get unbalanced in these matters. So I want to remind and encourage the sisters, whom I love dearly, all of you. When you spend time adorning that hidden woman, when you take care of the home, and when you have the, the young babies, I remember when we have the young babies, every diaper that Tisha would change was a glory to Almighty Yahweh. It was a glory to Yahweh. Every single one. Because that's her role in the home. Every time something would get clean, every time something would be ordered properly in the house, I don't know about you man, but I don't do that at my house. I'm not an interior decorator. Usually when Tisha asks me, which one do you like? I say, honey, that's up to you. You make that call and I'm going to live with it. I'll go out and by the sweat of my face, <laughs> I'll work. And I'll garden and I'll do the things that Yahweh has told me to do. And you take care of the home. And when a woman does that and she serves her family and her husband and she raises her children at home and has that gentle and quiet spirit, it's not just a price in the sight of Yahweh. It's priceless in the sight of Yahweh. It's very valuable in the sight of Yahweh. Very valuable. And let me tell you something. Hebrews 6 verse 10, and it can apply on many measures, but Hebrews six ten says, Yahweh is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you showed forth for His name and that you minister and serve the saints and do serve them. It's not unrighteous to forget. Not unrighteous. And you have a promise from the Word here. If you dedicate yourself to adorning the hidden woman, you'll have a reward that's much greater than any reward that man could ever give. Your crowns and your jewels will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And according to 1 Peter 3, 1-2... through This is how you will win over your unbelieving husband. Thus saith the word of Yahweh through his apostle. So we've got two more verses here. Let's go ahead and look at them to finish out this lesson. In verses 5 through 6, Peter writes, For in the past the holy women who hoped in the Almighty also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Submitting, obeying, calling him Lord, that's going to sound too old-fashioned to a lot of people in our day, but it's the Bible way. My son recently told me that he met someone that said they didn't read the Old Testament because the Old Testament was anti-women. I don't believe any of the Bible's anti woman. I believe the Bible is pro woman. I believe she's bone of the man's bone and flesh of his flesh, and she has a prestigious role. But modern day feminism that tries to make women into men will have a problem with the whole Bible. My son calls them not feminists, he calls them feminazis. <laughs> and it's the same thing vice versa. We have today men that are born men that for some reason or another think that they should really be a woman. And it's wrong and it's a sin and and it's something to be repented of like all any and all sin. One, it doesn't mean that it's any greater than adultery or Sabbath breaking or anything like that. But a woman will never be happy unless she's walking in the role that Yahweh created her for. It's the same thing for a man. He'll never be happy, never be satisfied. He'll always look for something. And even sinners will wonder, lost sinners will wonder, what am I searching for? I've got to find it. And they'll search to the day that they die until they come to the foot of the cross and are sorrowful and repent of their sin and realize I'm supposed to be walking in, in that which I was created for. A man for a man's role, a woman for a woman's role. Doesn't mean that we're any different in salvation. Uh, Paul writes to the Galatians, he says that in Christ, in matters of salvation, uh, there's neither male nor female, both can be saved. When Philip was baptizing people in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says he baptized both men and women. When Yeshua spoke to, who was it, Mary, after he was resurrected from the dead, he told her that Yahweh was her Father and her Mighty One. Women are important in the Bible. Yahweh used women for many things but we have different roles in the home. I'm thankful that Tisha can do things that I can't do. Look at the miracle of birth. That's something that Yahweh has given to the woman. Yes, she has pain in childbearing because of Genesis chapter 3. But Yahweh has given that to the woman and that's something that us men cannot accomplish. We can't experience. There's things that Tisha asks me to do around the home that she can't do because she's a female and I'm a male. That's how it's supposed to be. Men are supposed to do the masculine role. Women are supposed to do the feminine role. It's almost a shame that we have to teach about these things in the church because they should come naturally. But with the world that we live in today, things get so botched up and out of order there's a lot that I could say, but I I, I don't know if it, if it will be fruitful. But we need to seek for our roles. We need to seek for our roles. Part of the woman's role is to submit, to obey, and to consider her husband as her lord or her master. We'll get more into this in the New Moon Sermon. That, that, that doesn't mean that when a husband is a lord of, over his wife, it doesn't mean that he treats her like a drill sergeant. It doesn't mean that he talks down to her. He is to treat her in the same way that an elder is to assemble a flock of people as an example. So it's not too old-fashioned. It's not too primitive. It's the Bible way. And I like doing Bible things in Bible ways. Amen. These principles are Yahweh's. They outlast generations. They were perfect for Sarah and they're perfect for women today. Sometimes we joked around in our home about the calling Him Lord part in verse 6. But it's there, isn't it? It's there. I mean, it actually says that. Sarah obeyed Abraham and she called Him Lord in Genesis 18 verse 12. And if you study that passage out, Genesis 18, it was just Sarah nonchalantly talking about Abraham. I believe it was when the angel came to Sarah and told her she's going to have a son, and she says, "I'm wore out," and so is my lord, talking about Abraham. In other words, she just that was just the natural way that she referred to Abraham. She considered him as her superior in the home, and that's how it's to be for women today in marriage. Sarah was blessed for doing this and here in 1 Peter 3 we have a record that she's praised and remembered as an example to the sisters many years later. And sisters, you are daughters of Sarah if you follow her example. When you do what is right and are not afraid of what anyone else says or thinks or may do to you because of your righteous lifestyle, you are a child of Sarah. So submit to your husband, obey your husband, refer to him as your Lord, These are qualities that Yahweh looks upon and loves. As I close, I want to encourage all the sisters to go home and to read and to study 1 Peter 3, verses 1-6. through Yahweh uses a wife's inner beauty to transform her husband. That is the method that He has given us in His Word. But I want you sisters to especially consider a part that I did not touch on in verse 1 did not touch on this purposefully, so I can give you some homework to do when you study. Peter begins verse 1 by saying, in the same way, and then he gives the instructions to the wives. So I want you to ask yourself, as you study 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, what does Peter mean when he says, in the same way? It could be that he wants you to remember what he just got through writing in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's a hint. So study that and see what you come up with. There's a lot more that I could say about it in the whole text, but I've highlighted what I think are some key parts of the text. So read it through every day, sisters, all week. Read it through every day. Read it in several Bible translations. Don't just pick one translation. Get you a good five, six, seven Bible translations. See the different nuances. Look up some of the words like submit, pure, gentle, obey. Put aside your human objections. Before you read, ask Yahweh, Father, please let me accept what your Word has to teach And follow the path that Yahweh has given you here. And sisters, you will reap the benefit for doing so. I don't just speak to the sisters here in the local assembly. This is the assembly Yahweh has me at locally. But I speak to all of the sisters on the phone ministry. And I speak to many women that may listen or download this podcast or on the website years and years and years to come. So take what I've said to heart. If some of it's good, digest it. If some of it's bad, spit it out. Follow Yahweh's word above Brother Matthew all the time. On the New Moon Sermon, we're going to touch on the husbands. I'll probably be a lot more stricter on the husbands than I was on the women because I'm a husband and it just comes out that way. And plus, we'll see that it starts with us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father Yahweh, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your apostle, Father. I pray that uh, that I came across like I wanted to. I pray that I came across in a gentle manner, speaking to to the women, the Christian women, Father Yahweh, that should be approached gently and uh, righteously. Father Yahweh, I pray that your words and not mine would sink deep into their ears, into their thoughts, and in, the, in their heart. And they would take it to heart what Peter has to say. Y'all, we bring us back here for the New Moon Sermon and uh, I pray that you touch uh, the hearts of the men to receive what, what Peter has to say to them. Through your Son, we pray this prayer. Amen.